where coupon code SAVE10 will get you 10% off your entire order. Visit us at mysticalwares.com. All orders over $100 will automatically receive a free one-ounce bag of small Shungite nuggets. Say what? Say what radio show? With no agenda. It's always a surprise. But if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong. And welcome to Say What? It's February 17th, 2024. My name is Nancy Hopkins. With me is uh, Dolly Howard and Walt Silva. Jan's not here today because she had a scheduling uh, conflict. So there we go. Uh, you want to say hi to everybody, Dolly? Hi to everybody. <laughs> is that it? Yeah. Okay. Well, Walt... <laughs> Uh, good evening to everybody. Thank you for being here, and uh, we're, I hope we're going to have fun with you guys. Say what? <laughs> yes, exactly. That is that is the name of the show. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, so um, we've got some things put out there that we're going to cover. Um, I do hope that you listen to Jan's show. So things are just happening all over. I mean... This week was such an incredible week of soap opera. <laughs> I just went from one soap opera to another and just had a... I mean, you, you, you can't make this stuff up. So, Dolly, where would you like to start? Ah, uh, well, let's, um... I want to just do the Trump stuff I got together because... Oh, but first I want to start... This is, this is just a... FY and a look into my life um, because I heard somebody talking about getting letters from presidents and it reminded me I wrote a letter to President Kennedy a long time ago and um, I was very concerned about the bathrooms because at that point in time we had men's bathrooms and we had women's bathrooms and that's it we didn't have bathrooms that were for both men and women uni bathrooms or whatever they call them these days and my concern was that and i said to him so okay what i forgot what it was they let go through but i said and someday y'all are gonna allow men and women to use the same bathroom <laughs> today we use the same bathrooms <laughs> well how old were you oh geez it was uh, my kids were babies <laughs> and you were worried about i mean you didn't want to why did you message what was happening that you caused you to message him I don't remember what was going on, but it really concerned me that they were going to combine the bathroom situations. Oh, back and then? They, huh? Back then, that was before 63. Yeah. Wow. It was when my kids were babies. Oh, and my. so, anyway, no, 
No, because Annette was born in 69. But they weren't as commonly unisex bathrooms back then when I emailed. When I didn't even have internet. I had to write him a letter. There was no internet. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. And I think he did respond to me, but it was one of those uh, general response letters. I don't know what to say about that. (laughs) I just never let anything go that really, really bothers me. People are going to hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I did want to talk about the Trump stuff today. Um, If you had listened to Jan's show, you would have heard some of it. But I, I have other things on it, too. Um, I want to first say the evil creature, who's the New York judge that uh, just decreed for the next three years, the Trump guys, and uh, uh, all three of them, are not able to be associated with Trump businesses in New York. And the boys were fined, as well as Trump being fined. So uh, my solution to that, of course I have to have a solution to talk about it, is I say put the Trump women in place of the men so they still have control over the businesses. There's more than one way to skin a frickin' evil demonic judge. Oh, the rest is... Before I read the below, I have this quote. Oh, yeah. This is by Patrick Bet-David on X, what used to be Twitter. And I have have the site, if I can copy it right. Uh, Copy. And put it in wherever you guys got to. Here, that's where you can go and read it by yourself if you, if you want to. Now, to write what I copied down. Before I read the b- below, I have this question: Who the hell gets the money? They never address that when they discuss it. President Trump has been ordered to pay eighty-three point three million dollars. And then he's been ordered to pay $354 million. Combined, that's $437 million. And then, including interest, it could be another $100 million. I don't think Trump has even that much. His net worth is estimated to be between $2 billion to $2.6 billion. However, experts have claimed that Trump has somewhere between 600 to $700 million in cash. Trump has said that he only has $400 million in cash. Poor baby. <laughs> this may seem like a lot to this average person, but not when you're being asked to pay $537 million in damages Plus interest. This doesn't include the legal fees that have been piling up as well as the fines his two sons received. 
if he chose to appeal, he would have to secure a bond by putting up about 10% of the total amount owed. That could be $44 million, which he might not get back. In other words, this nonsense decision and insane dollar amount by the demonic judge could deplete Trump's savings anywhere from, uh, in parentheses, is minus $137 million to uh, $163 million. Love him or hate him, this is what it means. It's, it, it, it's just absolute. I know they have to do this to uh, really make people pay attention who aren't paying attention. Even people who don't like Trump, it would get their attention on the amounts of money, I would think. And if they don't stop and realize because this judgment happened against the Trumps, it can happen against us. They can take us to court and sue us for anything they want to, whether there's a, a complainant or not. Because the only complaint that I can tell in the New York case is uh, the judge. And he said in the beginning, I don't believe a word you say, and I don't like you, and I'm going to be an asshole. Not in those words, but that's what he said. And um, if somebody can do that with Trump, just think about it. I mean, really think about it, y'all. Somebody can do this to us, too. And I really want to know, where the hell does the money go? Can can I can I kind of come in here for a minute because I want to yes, give an overview please. of the of the legal situation for those people that may not be you know nerds and be following it, but okay. what 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 it is is the the uh, what was what's her name, uh, I I forget what her friggin' name is. She's I the don't. attorney general of um, New York City. I think I think it's only the city. It is only the city. So she's the attorney general of New York City. Well, she campaigned on saying she would get Trump. And there is, you know, many, many videos of her saying, I'm going to get Trump. At one point she said, I'm going to go after that man and, and I'm going to protect you. You're, you're speaking to the audience, or the voters. I'm going to protect your rights and I'm going to go home and sleep well. That's what she said. So she comes on, and she, now she, what she, first off, she should have been brought up on ethnic char, ethical charges by the legal, uh, you know, firms. The the whoever's in charge of of giving the, even by the bar, the bar, the bar, the legal bar. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. she you don't you don't go out and say I'm going to find something on this individual. You know, I'll find something that he, they're guilty of. So they looked and they looked and they looked, and the only thing they could get was any, I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but this is what they did, let's put it that way. They took a law that was not even a criminal law. It was a law like a, a, a private 
you know, two companies bitching back and forth at each other. And it was designed to protect people from being scammed. It was never intended to go after somebody because you wanted to have political persecution of them and bring them financially into ruin. It was to protect the little guy that gets scammed. So it's never been used before in a court of law, you know, for what the purpose that they're doing it. So they go, when they walked into the court, when Trump walked into the court, the judge had already made the decision that he was guilty. Now, how this all came about, it still baffles me. Um, I listened to the lawyer, the woman there whose name I should, I should pay attention to, um, and she said that they claimed that they pre we had to uh, ask for a jury trial. And even though it was all, like, stupid and, and concocted and everything, she didn't seem, this was early in the game, she didn't seem too intent on going after that particular situation. That there's not the judge is is going to find you know the judge is doing it, not the jury. And then they walk into the courtroom, and the judge says, "Oh, you're guilty. Um, we're just going to go to the penalty stage." So all of him going back and forth and back and forth to New York was the penalty phase. And the judge says, "You know you." You took your Mar-a Largo home and you said it was worth seventeen million dollars and it's not worth seventeen million dollars. It's worth much less. And you you got um money from that and then you paid it back and there's no penalty by the banks or everything. They're all happy, there is no victim, but I'm gonna find you guilty anyway. So through this whole thing there has never been Anybody, I mean, one bank, the Deutsche Bank, I think, came in, one of the, the people that's, you know, had Chancho there, and said, we love them, we want to do more business with them. <laughs> what they is your problem, <laughs> right? Okay, so, and this is going on and on and on, and I'm thinking, what, what in the hell is happening? Well, it was a complete setup by the Trumps, in, a, in, in my opinion, because... In this penalty thing, they were able to show the evidence that shows there was no victim. It's a victimless crime. The um, $18 million that... ...he says was too high. Well, in reality, it's more like a billion dollars. Yeah. Okay, and they were able to, to, to actually prove that. So, oh God, it, it it just gets crazier and crazier. But the end result is that they have been able to put into the record all of the evidence that proves that this is BS. Okay. Now, there were two situations where they went to the appeal court over something he was saying. And I'm real confused about this because it seems to me that the appeal court found for the Trump team, but the judge ignored it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right? Am I right? This, yes, I, absolutely correct. Yes. So, I'm listening to the lawyer this uh, couple days ago, and she said, no, I'm not at all concerned about the appellate court. 
and because they had set up all this evidence and stuff. But then I'm listening to Fox lawyer commentator types, and they said, "Well, we're not we we we're not really sure that the appellate court's going to be much better than the judge. They're all Democrats." And, you know, so um, even though she felt very sure of it, and she probably knows more than the commentators do, they did have hesitation. So if it goes before the appeal court and they find that the judge was correct, um, then it goes to the Supreme Court of New York. Again, all Democrats. And at that point, it could get to the Supreme Court of the United States. So whatever happens... It's, it may not happen until after the election. Now, the one thing that all of the commentators, even the ones that were naysayers, well, maybe not, you know, um, they all said that the excessiveness of the money, you know, because originally they, they asked for it, something like $80 million. And then it went up to $355 million. What? And that and, and their kids owe half of, what, what is it? Five million dollars or something? Yeah, they got drug in too, yeah. Right, and then on top of that, the judge put in his stipulation of findings that they could not use any of their New York properties to get loans for three years. So I thought they said that he, he could, none of them can get a loan for three years in New York. In New York. Yes, with the properties. Yes. They can't use their properties. I mean, who's going to give you money, millions of dollars, to cover this unless you've got property put up right? as collateral? And he won't let any, and there's like the Trump Towers. It's, it's a huge chunk of the New York skyline that Trump owns. Yeah. And right. this, this guy is just, and, and his kids can't even be part of it. Nope. You know? So, but... What, 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 this is why I, I'm, I'm like, I'm not concerned about any of this because then when you look back on it, you go, well, this is very interesting because all the lawyers said the excessiveness of the fine, that again, there's no victim, there's nobody to pay it to, um, because the money was supposed to pay off the people that had been scammed, you understand? <laughs> so it's it's like, but nobody had been scammed. So who's getting the money? Just that's that's what they're the lawyer. Even the lawyers were asking that, Dolly. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would imagine anybody who paid attention at all would be asking that. Who, who gets who's the money? money? New York City well, to pay it, for the migrants. The answer of simplicity itself. Trump is being scammed by the lawyer by the <laughs> judge. So yes. what, it doesn't get any simpler than that. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think that you know the money will pay for all the migrants that have come to the to the city. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the 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 thing about it is is that when Trump was Trump was on the sand sand a couple of times, and this judge was just as nasty as could be, and Trump was kept poking him, poking him, right, and so. I'm going like he does that with everybody. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. But the lawyers, <laughs> the lawyers pointed to this and said, you know, Trump knows he's got somebody that hates him, 
and he keeps poking at him and the money the the it went from 80 to 355 dollars and somebody one of the lawyers said i wonder if he regrets all those pokings because it probably every time he poked him it was another million dollars you know what i'm saying but i now, bet I bet he doesn't regret it because it's not going to happen in the end. Well, well but <laughs> if the appellate court is going to have to hear because it's such an excessive number. This goes yeah. beyond anything that makes any common sense. You know, yeah. so, it, it all, the, and again, the lawyers that were naysayer lawyers said, you know, this tactic may just make the appellate court look at it. And now the appellate court has to make a official decision that is you know these these lawyers are really really strange um in order to progress within the legal realm you have to be super cognizant of how you are de making decisions what your decisions are because if you make a decision <clears throat> that, that's kind of controversial then that goes into the record books of the legal establishment and if it becomes a precedent-setting case and the rest of them don't like it you'll never go anywhere you can kill your you can kill your you know going any further in your profession because you were on the the, the judge on a precedent-setting decision that the rest of them didn't like. Mm -hmm. And I know this because of uh, lawyers. I've had to deal with lawyers. And I was, you know, directly told that. Why? Well, because I was involved in a precedent-setting rule on uh, renter's rights in Florida. And I was being advised by a lawyer, but I was personally representing myself in the court. And this judge got so frustrated with me he <laughs> he all of a sudden took whatever he takes with him i don't know the gavel or whatever and he got up and he's walking out of the courtroom and i went where are you going and he said i'm leaving and i said you can't walk out on a courtroom and he said yes i can because you never hired a, a stenographer to take notes you don't have any documents that it happened and he walked out. <laughs> oh, oh no yeah yeah, and everybody in the courtroom applauded. <laughs> <laughs> you irritated the hell out of them all. Well, I technically, I technically think I, I lost the case, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a real eye opener on how law works. Always hire a stenographer. <laughs> you know, because I mean, you, th I thought that the stenographers were always hired by the court, and the court. Yeah. One, I wouldn't have, you know, but he he knew that, and, uh, <laughs> and he never told you, never <laughs> mentioned it. Oh, what a riot! Uh, yeah, I wish I could have been there. He was offended by the fact that you were representing yourself. I was representing the 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 renters, Walt. You see, this was a bill that was put out by the legislature to protect the, lend the, the, the renters from scammers, okay? And it had been manipulated to be a law in, in, in support of the, um, the, the owners, okay? 
And so that's what I was disputing, was the interpretation of the law. And no matter how he tried to turn it, I was like, no, sir, this is what it says. No, sir, this is what it says. And he got so frustrated with me because I was right. My lawyer, I was being advised by a lawyer. I knew why. I went back to the, I went into the legal documents. She let me into her library. I went into the legal documents to find out what, what the discussion was at the time that they passed that bill. Okay, the, the legislatures themselves. So I had that information in front of me. No, this is what they said. Blah, 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 blah. Ah, you know, finally just gets up and walks out. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> what, what was the, the what was the end? The I'm not sure, Walt. I, he just walked out and stopped. I don't know. I don't even remember. It was a it was a dispute with my landlord. Okay, and I don't even remember because I moved out of the house shortly after that, so I might have lost it. You know, but. You know, I mean, the law, I mean, certainly he didn't, he, see, he didn't want to find for me because that would change the, it would be a precedent-setting law that now supported the renters, which is what the legislatures wanted to happen, and would be continued to use by the other side because it was being misinterpreted. But, uh, and he didn't want to go on the record as being something that was anti-establishment and for the people. Of course not. You know. So anyway, I learned I learned quite a lesson that day. <laughs> so always it's always worth if you lose or win, you if you learn something, you know, it's it, it, that's what it's all about. So whatever. Freaking hysterical. I really wish I could have been there. <laughs> I mean, seriously, Dolly, the whole courtroom because it was one of those, you know, they were little little cases and so the you know, all the people that had the little cases were in the courtroom. And you're just waiting for your five to ten minutes to get in front of the judge. So it was all filled with the kind of people that I was. And they just, oh, man, the cheer. I mean, it was like, I just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> there, was, there was probably, I oh, there was 50 or 60 people at least in that courtroom. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the weird, weirder stories I... I've got some stories. I mean, I've, I've been talking on the radio for 10 years now, and I, I still don't run out of stories. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I really enjoy that one. Well, <laughs> the you judge know, walks out of the courtroom because <laughs> Nancy Hopkins pisses him off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it was fun. Um, but, you know, that's why I've always had this, um, it was Perry Mason. You know, I grew up watching Perry Mason. Me too. Oh, yeah. man, I loved that show. I mean, it was like my favorite show. So I got really into listening to the law and listening to court cases and stuff, you know. But, but do you remember, sorry to interrupt, but uh, his, uh, the, his, the key to all his statements is he he's funny because he always says, has these words what if i told you that i have this piece of, piece of paper that swears that you did this like he's always saying what if i told you that i have <clears throat> that we have this thing that this was done 
But it, but it's not true. It's just he's saying who's what he? Who's he? I told you, but who, he doesn't say it. Who's he? Who's he? <laughs> who, who's he? Perry Mason. Perry Mason. Oh, Perry Mason. Oh, 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 oh. He's, he he has a trademark way of uh, of presenting the data, so that the people whoever is listening to his presentation actually puts their foot in it. They don't realize that they're admitting something, but he never he never says. I have this, I, you know, I have this evidence. No, he says, what if I told you that I have this evidence? What if I told you that I have this? What if I, he's always saying the same thing. What if I told you, and people buy into it because it sounds like he's saying it, that he's saying it. No, he said, I never said that. <laughs> so he, the, the, the witnesses are always putting their foot in it because they're admitting to things that he's not saying. What if I told you, but he doesn't say it? So, I mean, that's, that's typical, typical Perry Mason. I never picked <laughs> up on that. I just loved the show. Because <laughs> they, they, well, but they always did confess. You know, I mean, yeah. it was, yeah, he, he tricked him into confessing. Well, maybe, yeah. Trump, maybe Trump is the same way. But I got to tell you, I got up on, when the heck was it? Was it Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday. No. It was Monday. It was <laughs> it was Monday, because I turn on the the television and I'm going. You know, it's on Fox, and I go, "Oh crap, what's this?" Because they've got some kind of a courtroom setting on the. You know, they're playing a live courtroom, and it turned out to be the Fanny, Fanny, whatever Fanny, Willis. I call him Bot. I call her Bottom Willis. B bottom Willis. <laughs> okay, Bottom Willis. <laughs> Bottom Willis was um, there. Well, she wasn't there. It was that's the case that they were hearing. She's the district attorney of Fulton County, Georgia, that has the case against Trump, saying that he uh, he tried to uh, election interference, and it all comes down to a statement on a telephone call that Trump made to the governor, and he said to him, "I need you to find." 11,000 votes. Now, that wasn't like, I need you to somehow or another manipulate 1,100, do something illegal. He was saying, in the basis on the conversation, that there's fraud, you know, there's miscounting, there's a lot of things wrong with the Georgia election. Look at it. Just get me 11,000 votes. Okay? So, based on that, that conversation, she she also ran on getting Trump. <laughs> She's going to get Trump, too. So she brings together this very complicated uh, RICO, RICO being racketeering, being a conspiracy case. That, again, every lawyer I've heard talk about it says it doesn't make any sense. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense legally. But... She's there. Well, she it, now get get this to get this. She meets this guy Wade in nineteen uh, twenty nineteen. Who's an attorney? Who's an attorney? Okay, and it's some thing, you know, some event. Yes. And then uh, in twenty twenty one, November of twenty twenty one, she hires the guy to be the head prosecutor in this case against Trump and the other conspirators, of which there were 26. 
So somewhere along the line, somebody finds out that these two are lovers and brings this to the attention of the courts. You know, that because he also got a huge paycheck, much more than you normally would get, okay? But on top of this, somebody, I don't know who did this, somebody found out that they had taken all these very exorbitant trips together and that he had paid for it. So it looks like she set her boyfriend up in a cushy job and was getting the benefit of going on all these lovely trips, right? Okay, so that was the basis for this hearing. Well, they put, when I get to it, this, this guy, Wade, is, I guess he's been sworn in because he was just taking the, the seat, <laughs> the, you know, in the courtroom. Time ago. And I kept saying to myself, get out of here, turn it off, you know, but I'm like, I'm a junkie for, for law. And I kept watching this thing and watching this thing and it went on for like three hours. But it was so interesting, and what he, okay, so his story is that he would pay, okay, I got to set this up for you, because the guy kept digging a hole for himself, all right, I mean a very, very dangerous hole, but he's so (sighs) amateurish, he never even picked up on it, okay, so the first thing he says is, well, I would take, uh, I, would, I would go on these trips and I'd put it on my corporate credit card. Okay, so you're putting the trips on your corporate credit card, yet it's a personal trip. Yeah, you know, did, is, is this a tax situation you might be falling into? Okay, so that's one. Okay, so then he says, and she pays me all this, uh, she reimburses me with cash. Uh, well, do you know where she got the cash? Oh, I wasn't concerned about where they get the cash. He says, I'm a lawyer. He says, I'm a lawyer. A lot of my clients pay me in cash. No, a, a, a legitimate lawyer doesn't take cash. You have to have records for this, right? Yeah. So yeah. now, now he stepped into it, and the IRS by now is like, Okay, somebody go investigate this guy. Yeah, really. <laughs> right? Okay. So, and this, this I'll tell you, honestly, the woman who was the one for the, this gets complicated because the state is suing the state. <laughs> okay? The, the government of Georgia, the higher-ups there, have put together this hearing to find out if these people have done something that either has the appearance of or was something that, you know, they shouldn't be doing this case with, okay, because it looks like this big case is what got the big money to them that go on these trips. And by now, you know, you got to throw them off because you're in a hearing, an illegal hearing to look at this, you know, the appearance of it is that, okay. Now, to just stop the the show for a second here before he got on they had the uh woman who was considered one of willis's best friends or best friend who had met somebody in the, and she was going to get married and she had a condo 
So she allowed Willis to take over the condo, and Willis was paying her, probably in cash, <laughs> to, to, to stay in this condo, okay? And this woman got on the stand, and they asked her, okay, do you believe that Wade and Willis had a romantic relationship before 2021, November of 2021? Because they kept saying, no, it was after I hired them that we got romantic. And she said, oh, yes, they were in a romantic relationship. And they, she was weird looking, too, but anyway. And then she says, um, and they asked her, they said, you know, well, how, how do you know that? And she said, well, kissing and hugging is usually an indication that you're in a, you know, a relationship. So she had said that earlier in this hearing. And <laughs> so the guy's talking to the woman who's representing the state that's looking into the state that is fighting this. Fulton County is fighting this, okay? So it's sort of like Georgia versus Fulton County. I think probably that's the way it would have been written. So the, the, the woman from the state, a white woman, was questioning Wade and Wade was cocky he was smiling he was making little jokes he was totally totally you know in command of himself and then because there were all these lawyers oh my god so many lawyers so then I believe it was Trump's lawyer starts to ask questions <laughs> and pretty soon Wade starts to get nervous well by the end of that maybe 10 minute just you know asking questions of him Wade was in such a sweat he's bald headed and the sweat was dripping down into his eyes he had to keep getting it out of his eyes he didn't have a handkerchief he didn't have anything to wipe this he should have had a towel the amount of sweating he was doing yeah. and he, he kept getting more and I mean I'm like man I don't know if this guy is guilty or not but he's sure is sweating like he is yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, you know, they're grilling him, and all these lawyers have to have their time with Wade. And I said, I've had enough of this. I turned off the sound, and I took a nap. And I think I slept for maybe 40 minutes, and all of a sudden, I suddenly woke up with a start. And I look at the television, and here's Willis, who was not supposed to be in the court. She was not going to be in the hearing. All of a sudden, Willis is blustering into the court, goes to the witness stand, sits down, crosses her legs, and said, you know, basically. Like a man. Oh, yeah. And, and she was so awful. It's like you said. She was, you know, running the show. Yep. And the judge uh, twice, uh, you know, said, you got to calm down or I'm going to not let you testify. I don't know what he was threatening. But he just sat there and he let her rant. And the lawyers couldn't get her under control. She just was saying whatever she wanted. But let me tell you the story she told because this was such a great story. Well, my daddy told me that as a black woman, it was imperative that I keep six months of, uh, you know, money in the house to pay for expenses six months and that if I ever went on a date I had to have two hundred dollars with me just in case the date went bad <laughs> right? 
And so the lawyers are saying, uh, do you have records of this money? You know? And she goes, mm-hmm. no, I get, you know, some money when I go to the Publix, the grocery store. I get it here, I in get the, it there. In the ATMs. And Well, I don't know that she even said she had <laughs> She went to the ATM. It was, oh, I, she said she went to the ATMs okay. and a number got put in there. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, because I said I told Dolly I was doing this, and she ended up over there doing the same thing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, because it was it sucks you right in, and so she says, uh, <laughs> "How was it that she put it that she, no, she didn't keep any records. There were no records of this, and she went on talking about going on this trip and that trip, and she paid for this, and the most I ever paid Wade was twenty five hundred dollars." Okay, $2,500. That's $2,500. That's a lot of money. <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, so, is there something I missed here that she said that was just, I mean, she, there were so many outrageous things that she did. But then, the next day she was supposed to come back. Okay, so the next day I get up, I turn on the television, and they're dicking around, the judge isn't there, da 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 you know. And it turns out that Willis is not going to be there. Oh, Willis is not going to be there. And somebody said she dug herself such a deep hole. She was in the cellar. There was no any, no place to go. <laughs> she did. <laughs> she, you know. So okay, all right. So she's not going to be in. And then this old man comes in. And he he. He ends up on. He ends up in the, the 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 chair. He's the father that she'd been telling. You know, was telling her to keep the cash. And he lived the with her. Guy, the, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you wrote something in your notes. Your your notes there. Do you remember what you? I you did. Know? Yeah. Look Let at your notes. I wrote a lot of stuff about it. Because him. you did. Ah. <coughs> Let me get to him. John Floyd is the father of Fulton County, Georgia, District Attorney, Bottom Willis. Willis's father, a retired criminal defense attorney who wrote a movie script, was, listen to this, was a leader in the Black Panther movement, according to South Atlanta Magazine. His full name is John Clifford Floyd. He is also known as John C. Floyd III. Uh, I want to read that one another part. He, he dated, oh, Floyd took the witness stand during the motion hearing on February 16, in which attorneys are seeking to disqualify Willis from the Trump prosecution because of her romantic relationship with Trump special prosecutor Nathan Wade. Floyd introduced himself as a retired attorney who practiced in the areas of criminal and family law. Uh, the New York Times calls Willis's dad, John Clifford Floyd III, a longtime civil rights activist and defense attorney. Uh, Let's see, Ed, should I read? I'm looking for the part where... No, 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 go ahead. Read the whole thing. I thought it was fascinating. Oh, okay. 
I, I was afraid you would think it was boring. No. Well, not me. Maybe they do, the audience, but not me. <laughs> okay. Defense attorney attorneys said that Willis's lawyers prepped Floyd before his testimony. He said Willis was present and added that he knew of her testimony. Floyd said he listens to conservative radio a lot. And last night, for five hours, all they talked about was this case. The judge said he would not strike Floyd's testimony, but that it could go to his credibility. All right, let me let me jump let me jump in here for a minute because you see there was a stipulation that if you were going to be a witness, you couldn't listen to the statements made by any other witness, and that was why he was saying, "Oh, you listen to it." That, you know, that broke that, I forget what they call it, sequestered law, that you weren't yeah. supposed to hear it. And he was defending why he was, you know, why he heard it. But the weird thing was, was that when Willis, Bottom Willis, walked in the, that day before, walked into the courtroom, she was angry. And everybody there knew she had been listening to the, to the witness. So she had already broken the law, the sequestered law. Okay, I just wanted to throw that in there. That's why he said that. But go ahead, Dolly. Sorry. Okay, that's all right. You interrupt me any time, unless it's Dave or the posse. Um, John Floyd, who testified that Bottom Fanny Willis had a different boyfriend in 2019, was described by Bottom Fanny Willis as a great man. I have absolutely... I have an absolutely amazing father, and I'm very privileged to have been raised by such a great man. Yes, the Black Panther, Willis told the Post. My father taught me that every single person is entitled to dignity and respect, no matter who they are, no matter their race, religion, or socioeconomic status. My comment here is, so why doesn't she give Trump the respect she says everybody should have? So, moving right along. Floyd said he grew up in South Central Los Angeles. Give me a second. I've tried cases all over the country, Floyd said on the witness stand. He said he was involved in a trial in Rwanda for the international court. However, he said his legal career was based in Washington, D.C. Floyd described how he came to live with Willis in 2019 during his February 16 testimony. According to Floyd, he has one child, Willis. In 2018, when he retired from practicing law, he moved to South Africa because he helped with the free Nelson Mandela movement. However, in 2019, he moved back to Atlanta because of political reasons and lived with his daughter, Floyd testified. He said he lived with Willis and his grandchildren. She was forced to move after she was elected, Floyd said. He said people showed up outside her house, cursing and yelling, and 
using racial slurs. She also received death threats, Floyd said. Floyd said he stayed in the house to protect it. <laughs> okay, I didn't read any farther when I copied and pasted. As a result of threats against Willis, Floyd said he hasn't been able to see his granddaughter a lot recently. Floyd said Willis had a boyfriend who was not Wade when he first started living with her, giving his name as Deuce, like the number two, Deuce. He said he would see the boyfriend sometimes every day. Floyd said he was a disc jockey or something. He said he did not meet Wade until 2023. This testimony matters because a friend of Willis's, Robin Bryant Yerty, testified on February 15 that Wade and Willis started dating in 2019, contradicting their testimony under oath. They say the relationship began in 2022. Willis moved to Bryant Yerty's condo. (coughs) Floyd said he is currently living in California part of the time with a friend because he's filming a documentary. Asked whether he spent time in California in 2019, he said he knew about COVID that far back. What's that got anything to do with anything? But anyway, he said it. He said he moved out of Willis's home in 2022. And then I put this note. If you all want to know more about this, you can go to the link. It's rather lengthy. But if you want me to, I can go to the link. No, I ba- no, I, I basically what he, he he collaborated everything that she had said about the cash. You know, she, oh, this was good because he turned to the he turned to the judge and he said, "I now this is a black man, okay? I don't want to be racist." <laughs> right? Yeah, he, really. <laughs> and then he says and then he says, "You know, keeping cash is a black thing." Okay? And then, you know, people who were black on the Fox network, they were like, Did you do you keep a lot of cash around? Do you keep no, and nobody else that was black seemed to keep all this cash, but it was a black thing. He 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 did throw that out, you know. And so it's like if you go after her because she keeps cash, that's a you know, uh what do you call it? Uh, racism. <laughs> because it's black people do that. You might not do it, but black people do it. Even the the uh, Bonnie Phantom Franny said that on stand. She said, "If you don't agree me, you're agree with me. You're uh, uh, you don't believe in conservatism." Is that how she said it? I don't. I don't know. She threw in that. Uh, so um, she made it a threat. If you don't believe the way I believe, then. And then basically you're you're going to hell or something like that. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> she just is a piece of work. Well, I, I if lo- I was, oh, I'm sorry. Just uh, let me ahead. say this: if I was her, I would never show my face in public ever again. 
she made that much of an ass of herself. Oh, she probably thinks she was wonderful. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that she did say, I forget what the question was that they asked her, but she answered it, and the, then the whoever asked the question sort of said, well, you know, like, I'm not quite believing you type of thing. And she said, look, you got one witness, one witness, and they say the truth, they say something, well, then that's the truth. And she, the friend, the one friend had said they were in a relationship, so she just, you yeah. know, you know, yes, <laughs> they, you know, I mean, it was like. She just kept stabbing herself in the back. <laughs> oh, it was, it was, and then the father, I mean, he was, he was something to behold. I mean, that was, that was, all of the people that were there were such characters. They were almost. They were. Characters, caricatures. Even the lawyers were caricatures. Yeah. I mean, they had, how many was there? There was like three, four, five, five different lawyers, and they all kind of like represent some other kind of character of a lawyer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was. It, it was. <clears throat> I put the link in the chat room, y'all, so you can see the pictures and everything. Yeah, it was. So anyway, that's that's where I spent two days, just in Georgia. <laughs> I didn't get to watch yesterday because I was, I was at the echocardiogram and the X-ray, uh, at the hospital getting that stuff done. Well, they didn't. And they, they didn't do much. They didn't do much. They, oh, okay. They, they had they had some guy on there that was you know, saying something that I'm sure Willis and Wade w didn't want to hear. It was his ex-law partner. I don't remember what it was. Um, he, he'd been on the stand before that I think too. But anyway, there wasn't there wasn't much coverage of it yesterday. So oh, I didn't miss anything. Then I didn't miss anything. <laughs> no, there was a lot of coverage about talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I get tired of hearing them talk about it. So I want to understand this correctly. So this woman is working against Trump. She's fighting against Trump, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. She was she accusing him of, of <laughs> rigging the... Trying to... Election interference. Yes, yes. And they did it on this conspiracy. They got 26 other people that are on the... the you know, eight of those people have already uh, sort of confessed to it to get out of it. They didn't get any time in jail. They weren't even fined. It's like, yes, yes, yeah, okay, fine. We did that, yeah. And... Uh, I mean, uh, some of them were very, uh, it surprised me that they didn't fight it. But they didn't. They went on with their lives. So there, somebody asked me about that. I said, I really don't know what, what would happen. Because the question now is, okay, based on everything that I'm hearing and, and watched in that courtroom, this judge, now the problem with the judge is that he's up for election in four months in a purple state. And Fulton County is blue, pretty blue. So, you know, he, he doesn't want to, again, goes back to the, I don't want to make this decision, you know. It might Did you hear that the judge is a close friend of uh, Bottom Willis? Yeah. They all, yeah, they, well, they all, you know, they're all in the same oh, job and, you know, no, that wasn't any surprise. But, oh. um, so... Essentially, if he makes the decision that all the lawyers are saying is the only decision there is, is that 
you disqualify Willis and Wade from continuing with the with the Trump case, okay? Which means that at that point, uh, the office of the district attorney, Willis's office, could put some other people in charge of it and continue with it. Uh, or he could say, and this is so convoluted that we are going to have a change of venue, which means that it would be taken out of Fulton County and given to another part of the legal establishment of Georgia in some other county. And all the lawyers I was listening to said, and they would probably refuse to indict because it's so convoluted and doesn't, you know, pass the litmus test for good law. So whatever happens, um, and of course, everything that they were saying just makes it more likely that an appeals court would say, no, there was at least the appearance and they shouldn't be allowed. So it's going to set back the time that this is going to finalize, probably pass the election. But yeah. it, it doesn't look good. But it was great drama. I mean, it sounds probably boring to you guys, but it was really, it was one weird thing after another. <laughs> and, and to be able to see it because yeah. of the different actions and... and and emotions on the people's faces and and, and the sweat uh, pouring off a of wade <laughs> oh my god because oh and then the thing that the thing that i was like shocked by kind of like well isn't this payback is that they broke up <laughs> they're yeah. not they're not in a relationship they're not lovers at all anymore and that was one of the funnier exchanges that they had with willis because they asked Wade, well, when did you and she stop this relationship? And he said, well, I would think it was the summer of, what was it, 23 or something? I, it was, I don't remember the year, but it was summertime, right? And yeah, then I they get her true. on the stand, and she says, well, a man would probably tell you that it was in the summertime, because that's when we stopped having sex. But it was really when we had the hard conversation, and that was in November or something. And, you know, that confused the lawyer. It was like, uh, okay. And, and the other, oh, this one was a funny exchange, too. At one point, one of the lawyers said uh, something about the cash hoard that she had. And she said, what'd you say? I thought you said whore. Oh, yeah, I remember. I thought you said whore. Yeah. And he said, I wouldn't say that to anybody. In, you know, I mean, it was he was just like, oh, you know, just embarrassed because she oh, thought he had God. said it. But I, yeah. think it, I, I think it actually was the same lawyer talking to Wade. And he's trying to be very polite. And he's trying to ask, when did you, you know, when did your relationship turn into something that was romantic versus personal? And Wade says to him, you mean, when do we start having intercourse? And the lawyer was like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah well, I wouldn't have put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> it really was a soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was funny. I got to tell you, it was very funny. Uh, and so... Me, huh? When you told me you were watching it, I thought, oh, for crying, now what has she gotten herself into? And I thought, I better turn this on and see what she's doing. And then I got hooked by it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, my uh, gosh. Ma Perry Mason it, has nothing on that thing. <sighs> no, no. 
It was just freaking hilarious. And mm. I kept thinking, okay, this nothing more will be this funny. Well, the next time they opened their mouths, it was just <laughs> funnier than the, what they had just said. <laughs> you know, and it, the thing of it is, is that I really feel like I was blessed to have the experience. Because Fox, they shut down their their programming and just played this live the whole time. So at night when, you know, they, they stopped this this live presentation thing, the people were out there and they're going like, oh my God, that was just amazing. I mean, they were like enthralled with it. They just found it to be so entertaining and funny themselves. Yeah. yeah. God bless Fox <laughs> for playing that whole thing uh, because it was one of the most <laughs> strangest things I've ever seen. Th that was supposed to be in a court of law. It was yes. like, that was a thing, <laughs> you know, judges aren't, she pointed her finger at the judge once. Oh, you, you know, and it was like, whoa, yeah. whoa, wait a minute, you know, and all of the lawyers were saying, whoa, I wish I had that judge in my court, you know, because it was yeah. like. <laughs> he let her get away with anything she wanted. Yeah, but she put, she <laughs> dug the hole so deep that oh, on, on appeal, yeah. she's. It's not going to go anywhere. But we're no. going to go take a break. Now, do you want uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow or do you want Disturbance? Uh, let's do Somewhere Over the Rainbow because cause bottom Fanny Willis dug a hole. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> and welcome back to the Say What Show. It's February 17th, 2024. My name is Nancy Hopkins. With me is Dolly Howard and Walt Silva. Um, so Walt, do you have anything you wanted to talk about? <laughs> oh, oops, sorry, so all, all I, I have nothing to co cooperate. Uh, all, all I've done is uh, work on, on the, uh, item, on the items that I make. Uh -huh. I don't have any conversation pieces, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, no, no, that's fine. I just wanted to give you the opportunity if you had something you wanted to get into. Um, Dolly, how about you? Is there something else you wanted to? Yep. Okay, go ahead. Yep. Oh, we got a good... I got the good news yeah. thing. Okay, good, yeah. good, good. All right, go for it. Oh, I should have done this during break, but I was busy singing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Let me copy and paste this into the chat room. This is the link. And I want to copy and paste the, uh pictures um you can go to the link and see the pictures but for those that don't want to i will put them in the chat room here's the baby that i'm going to be talking about seeing the uh paste seeing the little guy hold on one more be patient with me my fingers shake and they don't want to move and I have old people syndrome some days worse than others. There's that picture and here's a big picture of one that hatched. There you go. They're so freaking cute. I love these guys. Um, <clears throat> this is from the Good News Network by Andy Corbley, February 12, 2024. 
Quick-thinking flight attendant and passengers save six flamingo eggs aboard flight. Alaska Airlines flight attendant Amber May has had some unusual requests in her 10 years of flying, but being asked to help save some flamingo eggs just about topped them all. A passenger rang the call button and asked if I would help keep some eggs warm, May said, and they released from the company. The passenger, as it turned out, was a senior zookeeper from Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle. She was transporting six precious flamingo eggs in an incubator, which she received from the Atlantic Zoo. Woodland Park's stand of flamingos are all past breeding age, so they couldn't set their own birds up to breed and had to rely on younger ones elsewhere. But the incubator had stopped working, with several hours still to go in the flight. Responding to the zookeeper's plea for help, (coughs) excuse me, May promptly filled rubber gloves with warm water, which the keeper used as a makeshift nest to keep the eggs warm. May continued to supply water-filled gloves as needed throughout the entire flight as the water inside became tepid. To provide extra insulation for the eggs, passengers seated nearby gave up their coats and scarves. See, that's so special. They got to share in. Uh, The flamingo eggs would not have survived in a non-functioning portable incubator for five hours. Joanna Class, a Woodland Park Zoo animal care manager, said in a news release, We're so grateful for the creative thinking that led to the safe transportation of our precious eggs. Then May and granddaughter, that's the flight attendant, May, then May and granddaughter Sonny were invited to come visit the animals and baby Sonny got to meet her namesake up close. Having baby Sonny meet, I must have skipped something. Um, she was, she, May was, they called her and, uh, told her she was welcome to name one of the flamingos and her granddaughter had been born that day and the granddaughter's name was Sunny. So May suggested Sunny after her granddaughter. So, um, then May and granddaughter Sunny were invited to come visit the animals, and baby Sunny got to meet her namesake up close. That's a picture of the baby with the flamingo in it. Having baby Sunny meet Flamingo Sunny was just wonderful, Amber said. I am excited to see them both grow up. I was honored and so happy that the chicks had hatched, all six of them. The end. That, that's a great story. <clears throat> oh, yes. And I made it through without crying. Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> Sonny the Flamingo. Yep. S-U-N-N-Y. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, um, 
I, I, I like to go to the Rumble station where Tucker Carlson is because mm-hmm. he often has very short blips from the shows, that the interviews that he's done. But Jan um, turned me on to an hour program where he's talking to a guy by the na- name of Mike Benz. And it's, it's, an, it's an hour show, but I've only got uh, thir- well, 14 minutes of it here. And I'd like to play it because it's a very succinct history. And I'm a historian. I've got a degree in history. I love history. It's a very succinct uh, overview of the history of censorship. And it's very informative. So it's not very complicated. You know, it's not a heavy thing. But it's just, a, a, you know, a, an overview of how we got to the point that I was taken off of YouTube. Okay, so we're going to play that, if you don't mind. You all right? Well, I'm in charge. I'm going to play it. Yeah, it's your station. The play ability it. to track, <laughs> to use free speech on the Internet as a way to circumvent state control over media over in places like Central Asia or all around the world was seen as a way to be able to do what used to be done out of CIA station houses or out of embassies or consulates in a way that that was totally turbocharged. And all of the internet free speech technology was initially created by our national security state. VPNs, virtual private networks to hide your, your IP address. Tour, the dark web, to be able to buy and trail, uh, sell goods anonymously, end-to-end encrypted chats. All these things were created initially as DARPA projects or as joint CIA-NSA projects to be able to help intelligence-backed groups to overthrow governments that were causing a problem uh, to the Clinton administration or the Bush administration or the Obama administration. And this plan worked magically from about 1991 until about 2014, uh, when there began to be an about-face on Internet freedom and its utility. Now, the high-water mark of the sort of Internet free speech moment was the Arab Spring in 2011, 2012, when you had this one-by-one, all of the adversary governments of the Obama administration, Egypt, Tunisia, all began to be toppled in Facebook revolutions and Twitter revolutions. And you had the State Department working very closely with the social media companies to be able to keep social media online during those periods. There was a famous phone call from Google's Jared Cohen to Twitter to uh, not do their scheduled maintenance so that, uh, dis- so that the preferred opposition group in Iran would be able to use Twitter uh, to, uh, to, to win that election. So it was an in- free speech was an instrument of statecraft from the national security state to begin with. All of that architecture, all the NGOs, the relationships between the tech companies and the national security state had been long established for freedom. In 2014, after the coup in Ukraine, there was an unexpected counter-coup where Crimea and the Donbass broke away. And they broke away with essentially a military backstop that NATO was highly unprepared for at the time. They had one last Hail Mary chance, which was the Crimea annexation vote on, uh, in, in 2014. Uh, and when the hearts and minds of the people of Crimea voted uh, to join the Russian Federation, that was the last straw for the concept of free speech on the Internet in the eyes of NATO. As they saw it, the fundamental nature of war changed at that moment. And NATO at that point declared something that they first called the Gerasimov Doctrine, which was named after this Russian military uh, general 
who they claimed made a speech that the fundamental nature of war has changed. You don't need to win military skirmishes to take over Central and Eastern Europe. All you need to do is control the media and the social media ecosystem because that's what controls elections. And if you simply get the right administration into power, they control the military. So it's infinitely cheaper than conducting a military war to simply conduct an organized political uh, influence operation over social media and legacy media. An industry had been created that spanned the Pentagon, the, the British Ministry of Defense, and Brussels into a organized political warfare outfit, essentially infrastructure that was created, initially stationed in Germany and in Central and Eastern Europe, to create psychological buffer zones, basically to create the ability to, to have the military work with the social media companies to censor Russian propaganda or to censor domestic right-wing populist groups in Europe who were rising in political power at the time because of the migrant crisis. So you had the systematic targeting by our State Department, by our IC, by the Pentagon, of groups like Germany's AFD, the alternative for Deutschland there, and for groups in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Now, when Brexit happened in 2016, it was, it, that, was, that was this crisis moment where suddenly they didn't have to worry just about Central and Eastern Europe anymore. It was coming westward, this idea of Russian control over hearts and minds. And so at, that was, Brexit was June 2016, the very next month at the, war, at the Warsaw Conference. NATO formally amended its charter to to ex expressly commit to hybrid warfare as, their, as this new NATO capacity. So they went from, you know, basically 70 years of, of tanks to this explicit capacity building for, for censoring tweets if they were deemed to be Russian proxies. And again, it's not just Russian propaganda. This was, these were now Brexit groups or groups like Matteo Salvini in, in Italy uh, or in Greece or in Germany, or in, in Spain with the Vox Party. And now at the time, NATO was publishing white papers saying that the biggest threat NATO faces is not actually a military invasion from Russia. It's losing domestic elections across Europe in, to all these right-wing populist groups who, because they were mostly working-class movements, were campaigning on cheap Russian energy at a time when the U.S. was pressuring this energy diversification policy. And so they made the argument, after Brexit, now the entire rules-based international order would collapse unless the military took control over media because Brexit would give rise to Frexit in France with Marine Le Pen, to Spexit in Spain with the Vox Party, to Italexit in, in, in Italy, to Grexit in Germany, to Grexit in Greece. The EU would come apart so NATO would be killed without a single bullet being, uh, being fired. And then not only that, now that NATO is gone, now there's no enforcement arm for the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, or the World Bank. So now the financial stakeholders who depend on the battering ram of the national security state would basically be helpless against governments around the world. So from their perspective, if the military did not begin to censor the Internet, every, all of the democratic institutions and infrastructure that gave rise to the modern world after World War II would collapse. So you wait, can imagine wait, the wait, reaction may I ask you to pause later, right, Donald right Trump there. won the 2016 election. So you, well, you just told a remarkable story that I've never heard anybody explain as lucidly and crisply as you just did. But did anyone at NATO or anyone at the State Department pause for a moment and say, wait a second, we've just identified our new enemy as democracy within our own countries? I think that's what you're saying. They, they feared that the people, the citizens of their own countries would get their way, and they went to war against that. Yes. 
Now, you know, there's a rich history of this dating back to the Cold War. You know, the Cold War in Europe was essentially a, a similar a similar struggle for hearts and minds of people, especially in Central and Eastern Europe. Yes. Uh, you know, in these sort of you know Soviet buffer zones, and you know, st starting in 1948, the national security state was really established. Then, you know, you had the 1947 Act, which established the Central Intelligence Agency. You had uh, you know this this new world order that had been created with all these international institutions, and you had the 1948 UN Declaration on Human Rights, which forbid the territorial acquisition by military force. So you can no longer run a traditional military occupation government in the way that, that we could in 1898, for example, when we took the Philippines. Everything had to be done through a sort of political legitimization process whereby there's some ratification from the hearts and minds of people within the, the country. Now, often that involves simply puppet, puppet politicians who are groomed as emerging leaders by our State Department. But the battle for hearts and minds had been something that we had been giving ourselves a long moral license leash, if you will. Uh, since 1948, one of the godfathers of the CIA, George Kennan, at, uh, 12 days after we rigged the Italian election in 1948 by stuffing ballot boxes and working with the mob, we pub published a memo called The Inauguration of Organized Political Warfare, where he said, listen, uh, it's a mean old world out there. We at the CIA just rigged the Italian election. We had to do it because if, if the communists won, maybe there'd never be another election in Italy again. So, uh, but it's really effective, guys. Uh, we need a department of dirty tricks to be able to do this around the world. And it's essentially a new social contract we're, we're constructing with the American people because this is not the way we've conducted diplomacy before. But we are now forbidden from using the War Department. In 1948, they also renamed the War Department to the Defense Department. So again, as part of this, this diplomatic onslaught for political control rather than it looking like it's overt military control. But essentially what ended up happening there is we created this foreign domestic firewall, we said, that we yes. have a department of dirty tricks to be able to rig elections, to be able to control media, to be able to meddle in the internal affairs of every other plot of dirt in the country. But this, this sort of sacred dirt on which the American homeland sits, will uh, they are not allowed to operate there. The State Department, the exactly. Defense Department, and the CIA are all expressly forbidden from operating on U.S. soil. Of course, this is so far from the case, it's not even funny. But... Uh, but that's because of a number of laundering tricks that they've developed over 70 years of doing this. But essentially, there's, there was no moral quandary at first with respect to the creation of the censorship industry when it started out in Germany and in, and in Lithuania and Latvia and Estonia and in Sweden and Finland. Uh, there began to be a more diplomatic debate about it after Brexit, and then uh, it was it became full throttle when Trump was elected. And what little resistance there was, was washed over by the rise and saturation of Russiagate, which basically allowed them to not have to deal with the moral ambiguities of censoring your own people, because if Trump was a Russian asset, you no longer really had a traditional free speech issue, it was a national security issue. It was only after Russiagate died in, uh, in July 2019, when Robert Mueller basically choked on the stand for three hours and revealed he had absolutely nothing after two and a half years of investigation, that the foreign to domestic switcheroo took place where they took all of this censorship architecture spanning DHS, the FBI, the CIA, the DOD, the DOJ, and then the thousands of government-funded NGO 
and private sector mercenary firms were all basically transited from a foreign focus, from a foreign predicate, a Russian disinformation predicate, to a democracy predicate by saying that disinformation is not just a threat when it comes from the Russians, it's actually an intrinsic threat to democracy itself. And so by that, they were able to launder the entire democracy promotion regime change toolkit uh, just in time for the 2020 election. It, 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 I mean, it's it's almost beyond belief that this has happened. I mean, my own father worked for the U.S. government in this business, in the information war against the Soviet Union, and, you know, was a big part of that. And the idea that any of those tools would be turned against American citizens by the U.S. government was, I, I think, I want to think, was absolutely unthinkable in, say, 1988. And you're saying that it's there really hasn't been anyone who's raised objections, and it's just it's absolutely turned inward to manipulate and rig our own elections, as we would in, say, Latvia? Yeah. Well, as soon as the democracy predicate was established, you had this professional class of professional regime change artists and operatives. That is, the same people who argued that, you know, we need to bring democracy to Yugoslavia, to get, and that's the predicate for getting rid of, you know, Milosevic or any, any other country around the world where we basically overthrow governments in order to preserve democracy. Well, if, if the democracy threat is homegrown now, then that becomes, uh, you know, then, then suddenly these people all have new jobs moving on the, on the U.S. side. And I can go through a million examples of that. But one, one thing on, on what you just mentioned, which is that, you know, from their perspective, they, they just weren't ready for the Internet. 2016 was really the first time that social media had reached such maturity that it began to eclipse legacy media. I mean, this was a long time coming. I think folks saw this building from 2006 through 2016. You know, uh, Internet 1.0 didn't even have social media. From 1991 right. to 2004, there was no social media at all. 2004, Facebook came out. 2005, Twitter. 2006, YouTube. 2007, the smartphone. And so, uh, and in that initial period of social media, nobody was getting subscriberships at the level where they actually competed with legacy news media. But over the course of being, you know, so initially even these dissident voices within the U.S., uh, even though they, they may have been loud uh, in moments, they, they never reached 30 million followers. They never reached, you know, um, a, a billion impressions a year type thing as a uncensored, mature ecosystem allowed citizen journalists and independent voices to be able to outcompete legacy news media, this induced a massive crisis both in our military and in our State Department and intelligence service. Jordan. So, didn't you find that interesting? Guys? Hello? I had to get those things to match up. Um, um, it, d yes, I found it interesting. <laughs> Did he was was he saying that mm, I know he said we rigged the foreign countries elections. But was he saying we always rig our elections too? No, that's that's what he was saying. Was that well? He was saying that he sort of made an, an innuendo towards the fact that yes, they were rigging them here anyway. But 
it wasn't until basically you get to the 2016 reality that the social media has presented an opposition to the established media. And at that point, it became an official operation of the United States government to censor. And by that, I mean the CIA, the FBI, all. So, but no, initially they were just listening to making changes, which, you know, I mean, the fact that the United States was mucking in people's elections is nothing new. That was part of the anti-war, anti, you know, I mean, back in the 60s, it was obvious. Yeah. You know, so it's not like it wasn't understood. And a, a lot of us protested over it. You know, you, this is not democracy when some organiz That's why you had a lot of people that were, well, sort of like that the father there for, of Willis. You know, because if you looked at what was really happening by the United States government, the control that they were exercising with no legal reason you know, other than they could do it and would do it. Um, there's a great book out there, uh, An Economic Assassin. <clears throat> Forget what his name is. Peterson, I want to say, but I don't think it's exactly that. But he, um, John, he he was somebody who worked in the operation where they would go to a a, a, a country that was, you know, not industrialized and say to them look at you take out these loans from these banks it's not going to be much interest and you'll build up your electric grid you'll build up your you know supply grid everything will be built up your airports everything and then you your country can be economically uh viable well the problem with this concept is that if you don't have an economy that can utilize those systems it's not going to work no matter what happens but that was the presentation he would make to different countries i mean all some of them big some of them small he, he names them i'm surprised he ever survived um but what they would do is that you know i mean a a sane person would say this doesn't make any sense it doesn't matter how much trains we put in if there's no nobody making stuff to put on the trains that type of thing so what they would do then is they would bribe the sitting president or whoever and if they couldn't bribe him they assassinated him and that's why he called himself an economic assass- assassin and um so this has been very very well known and yes to those of us that watched the internet grow we saw, I saw, I, I'm sure the others saw it too, we saw the uh, danger that the Internet posed to control, but realized we could turn it around <clears throat> and make it something that could compete. And I don't think that, uh, I'm a conspiracy buff, I've been doing this a long time, I was in electronic warfare, I think like this. To me, it was like, oh, this is really interesting because now all these, especially when Facebook came out and and the others, I didn't get into the others. It was Facebook that got me so intrigued because 
we were able to communicate with one another. And, uh, I mean, I had this guy, uh, Roland, Roland, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of his, he, he's, he was just such a, he, was, he, lives, he lives in England. And he was able, his last name is Roland, I'm trying to think of his first name. But anyway, he, he was in England, and he was an electrician that had lost his job because of, uh, well, basically the 08 problem that would happen. And he began to kind of like look at life differently, and he started to get into the woo down, you know, taking a red pill. And so he would be up doing all this research, and then he would post it, Maddie, Maddie Rowland, and then he would post it. And the next day, I'd come on, and I'd just go to all those posts. All that research was done for me. And as a professional researcher, this was an astounding ability to be able to have two people who were working on the same project be able to, and then I would do stuff, and he would get up in the morning and start with where I had left off, you know, that type of thing. So um, it became very obvious to, mm, let's say, conspiracy, conspirator buffs that this was opening an avenue of unbelievable ability to come together. Because so many, and that was, it was a fascinating time because you realized that you weren't alone. I mean, I'm doing all this research. I'm not talking to people. You know, I'm I'm putting it into writing, and 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 you don't talk to people about this. They don't want to hear it. They just didn't want to hear it. But now I've got people out there that want to hear it, and I want to hear what they've got to say. And it was an extraordinarily exciting time. And so many people came together. And the the big one was Bill Brockbrader's uh, Facebook group. Uh, I think he ended up, I don't know how many he had, he had thousands, and at the time that was a lot of people. But there was a core of at least 800 people that were continually sharing research. And that, that amount of time that we, we had that Facebook going like that, the learning, I mean, it was exponentially faster. How much we were gathering, how much information we were gathering. So the dark side, the white black hats, all of a sudden realized that they had been using it to control and to manipulate the narrative, the search narrative um, in different countries to bring together the people. And, of course, what they, what they would do also is that they would make sure that the people that were giving the information to make everybody come to the side that the dark side wanted you to come to, that they were there and you were being, through the search manipulation, brought to those people. So it was a matter of being able to capture the minds of people and get them to go along with your scenario. And all of a sudden they found out that, oh my God, the other side's got it and they've got it bigger because, you know, they've got a, they've got a lousy story. We've got a great story. So, did I answer your question? It was a very lengthy answer, Dolly. <laughs> I got lost. Oh, for crying out loud. Why don't you stop I'm me? I'm sorry. Why don't you stop me? <laughs> well, because other people are listening. I'm not the only one listening. Well, that's true, but I was answering your question. Yeah. Well, uh, see, it probably answered other people's questions. I don't want to stop your information. Uh-huh. 
Okay. You don't want to censor me. Good, good. Yes, yes. <clears throat> just because I can't understand. Well, big, big deal. And I just trust in what you say. Yeah. 99.99% of the time. Right. <laughs> and, you know, interestingly <laughs> enough, there's a... a a program that was initiated, and I, 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 my feeling is, is that there was so much overlap in those beginning years between what the dark net knew and what the other us guys knew, because a lot of what ended up on the dark net, you know, so that it's not people can't see it and blah blah blah. Um, we, we were we were getting that information at that time. And supposedly there was a network that was being built of uh, small, <coughs> small, uh, essentially internet stations that were, if the entire grid went down, that there was a backup already being built by the, we would call them the white hats now. So and 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 the black hats have got themselves so integrated into the internet they can't function without it. So the only way they can stop us is through the censorship. And obviously the censorship isn't working because we just left, you know, Facebook and YouTube and those things and you went to Rumble and Telegram and X, you know, now I mean it's like they they can't stop what's happening. People are waking up. They can try to shut you down, but if they shut you down, they shut down their communications to, you know, the 3D stuff, and things start to go wobbly economically and financially, and, you know, so it's like a very interesting time to be in. But my question is, so did White Hats approve of manipulation of do do white hats and deep state work together it, together in manipulating the outcome of votes here in America now they do now they have legal right to do it so to speak because they've agreed to it so did they do it in uh, when uh, when the Biden gang got in Oh, yes. So, it was manipulated that Trump would win by the White Hats? By, I don't understand. I had a fucking heart attack, and I didn't need to. I almost died with that heart attack, thinking that the Black Hats had taken over our election in 2016, are you talking about? Yes. Okay, in, in 2016, they attempted to uh, have Hillary win. They thought they had it all locked up. But They who? <clears throat> the black hats. Okay, I want to be specific because I'm so confused. The black hats wanted Hillary to win. Okay. So, <clears throat> so they they were doing the things that they did behind the scenes. But what happened was they underestimated the number of people that would vote for Trump. They totally did not. 
see it coming. And what happened was that they were caught off guard with it. And so then they had to go to the next stage was to, you know, do the thing with the um, the COVID and, you know, the shenanigans. They, they took it to a new level. But you saw it happen while you were watching it. Yes. You know, you saw, That's... what was it, 20,000 votes go from Trump to Biden while you were yes, watching sir. the ticker tape, let's say. You know, and, I, and people have screenshots of that. I have some screenshots of that in my computer. That's what made me have that heart attack. I, I figured, well, it's over with. Life here on Earth as honesty in, in living is over with. Why bother to live? Oh, you have such As a- I was having the heart attack. You have such a weak. It's, it's like being. It's like having Kennedy being assassinated a second time. Yes, that's exactly what it was like for me, Walt. Yes. <laughs> it's um. So you and uh, my brother. My brother is concerned um, that they're going to steal the vote again in twenty four. Because he is from Massachusetts, and they just had some kind of a, an election, and the even though it seemed like the Republicans should have gotten in, it ended up to be a Soros Attorney General, or whatever they call him. Um, and he said, you know, the best he he believes that it was rigged somehow. So he's he's very terrified that this next 24 it's going to be rigged. I'm with him. It's yeah, don't worry about it. Okay, I'll tell you why, you know. If yes. if it's rigged and, you know, whoever the Democrat if Trump loses <laughs> There'll be a civil war, and and we'll win that. <laughs> you know, it's like. Eh. Well, did you hear the presentation? They're not using war with button with uh, guns anymore. Exactly. No, the the war is done is done with electronics. Yeah. Well, no, it's done by what's being put into the electronics, the information, the the thought, the love, the the stuff we put into it you know I mean if you want to think in terms of you know 3D warfare well you're going to lose you're going to lose because you can't see the battlefield I tell you you're not going to lose okay why do, Why am I so sure of that well I'm sure of that because the people who will take it down are already taking it down you know, I mean, there's been another battle going on for all this time that we used to cover, but we don't because we just got away from it. Um, there's been battles all over the planet between the white hat military and the and the dark side. So it's all happening. And if you don't believe that that's happening, that we're winning on that side, and that 
you know, it's it's just a 3D thing. Well, you've got the best soldiers in the world who are veterans of the United States. And there's hundreds of thousands of them. And a good portion of them are armed. And there's a group behind Trump that has been working their magic and doing whatever they need to do to make this right. So it, it it's a very complicated battlefield on many levels. But as long as we stay strong and as long as we stay positive, as long as we cannot imagine that we're not going to win, that's where you get into the jeopardy of losing because this is a this is a battlefield that's a spiritual battlefield and I just want to play one more clip because I just remembered I had it Jordan the World Economic Forum and you got three so, sentences well the first thing I would say is that one of the things I've learned very deeply in the last few years is that it's a very dangerous thing to make the assumption that the world is a limited resource zero-sum game. And then you might say, well, how can it not be? Because there is a finite amount of, of certain so-called resources. And I would say, well, the reason it isn't is because there isn't any desert that we wouldn't be able to make bloom and permanently make infinitely productive if we got our acts together in the manner that Tucker described. You know, there's a, I've been writing a new book about the biblical stories, and one of the continual, the emphasis in that corpus of stories is continual. And the central message is that if you orient yourself upward and you act with the highest regard for yourself and for other people, there's no limit to the abundance that you can bring forth. And if you have faith in that, you don't have to be concerned about sharing. You know that there's... There's not only more than enough for everyone, that more depends on you being as generous as you possibly could be with everyone. And all that would do would be to increase what's available. And the alternative to that is exactly the WAF view, which is that, quite frankly, there's too goddamn many people on the planet. And every time I hear that, I think, just exactly what spirit is saying that? And just precisely, who the hell do you think should go? And just exactly how. So I don't view human beings as an impediment to the beauty and pristineness of, of the Mother Earth that we've come to worship. You know, I think the notion that we're all creatures made in the image of God with an infinite transcendent worth is as true as any statement can be. And I think nothing... And I believe that there is nothing that is beyond our capability on the side of good if we aimed up and told the truth and had sufficient faith and courage. And I don't believe there's anything truer than that. And that is not what the WAF stands for. They stand for a Malthusian zero-sum game of scarcity, privation, and top-down centralized control. And with the technology that we have now, I wouldn't recommend that we do that. May, may, may I just answer one question raised by your eloquent and absolutely right analysis of the World Economic Forum? And that is, what spirit animates them? Well, 
if you believe people are the problem, then that is, of course, a genocidal spirit. If I believe that the problem with my kitchen is it has too many mice, the solution is to kill the mice. Too many roaches, I kill the roaches. They're the problem. They're the impediment. And so make no mistake, and this sort of tracks with what I was saying earlier, don't lie to yourself about the agenda. If people are the problem and you're a person, then your life is in the way of whatever goals they're seeking to achieve. By definition, am I missing something? No, I'm not. But all of us, it's so grotesque because, to further elaborate in one sentence, it's a demonic spirit, just to be clear. Any, any spirit that seeks to hurt, kill, divide, demoralize other people is a demonic spirit, by definition. So that's what animates it. You're the target, and don't lie to yourself. That was kind of what I was saying. <laughs> Hello? Hello. <laughs> oh, I couldn't, I couldn't get the cursor to work. Huh? I a, don't know what to think about. I don't know. I'm, I don't want to make wrong statements. I don't want to think wrong thoughts. I need to think on it. Well, it's, it's, it, I thought it would be complicated, but it sounds very, very simple. It is a war of the mind. Yep. It is a war of the spirit. Yep. This it's I not, agree with completely. Yeah, the, the, forget, about, forget the, the notion of, uh, oh, it's this technology and that technology and, and this policy and that politics and that. No, forget, forget all that. It's all mental. M mental and where you're you're putting your consciousness so it's all you know this consciousness is where the mind is being used how it's being used and pay attention pay attention how the mind is being used because that's the resource that they're, they're using against you that's why it behooves you to be always aware of what where your thoughts are and and ask yourself a question okay why am i choosing these thoughts why am I thinking these things? I, do I like these things? Do, do they make me feel good or do they make me feel bad? So pay attention where you're putting your consciousness. Where, what, what, what task are you assigning your consciousness to have? Are you thinking good thoughts, positive thoughts? Do you think the, the morning is going to be a good morning or you're, you're waking up planning to have a horrible day? Because that's that's what it is. It's a war of thoughts. It's a war of consciousness. What choices are you making? Because it's coming. That the time is over when when we we used to allow people to think for us. We don't do that anymore. If you if you can think for yourself, then why why do you wake up in the morning? Go back to bed. Don't ever wake up. <laughs> Stay asleep, because th that's what it comes down to. You, the time for being asleep is over. You have to be awake twenty four seven. You have to be by being. I, I don't mean never, never go to sleep. Of course, that's that's insane. I'm I'm saying, just be aware how you are thinking. Why are you thinking those those thoughts? Are they making you feel good? Are they making you feel bad? Pay attention to where you're putting your thoughts. Well, it is 24-7 because... It is 24-7. Yes, because before you go to sleep, 
Yeah. You know, you should program your 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 dream state yes. to to not be able to affect your 3D state. There's things that your dream state learns. You don't want to shut that down. You know. Yeah. It's, it's I, your I, high, I, but believe it, it. Go ahead. Uh, sorry for interrupting you, but this is an issue that <clears throat> impossible to impossible to make them think otherwise. But when I was a little kid. And uh, I sometimes it would be conversations with my grandmother, and that was that was her issue. Is she couldn't get a good night's sleep because all night long she would be worrying about different things, issues with the husband, issues with the children, for whatever it was. She could not get a good night's sleep because all night before going to sleep. All her mind was good for worrying about things, nonstop, twenty-four-seven. That's a, that's no way to live, you know. Where you're worrying about everything, and nothing come. And and, and the beauty, <clears throat> the worry, the beauty of worrying about everything, is that nothing comes to pass. And I, and I mean that seriously. Nothing comes to pass. Everything you worry about. Is an absolute waste of time. You you make all these stories, all these things are going through your head. You're not getting any sleep because you're worried about this. And what happens at the, at the end of the day? Nothing. Everything that you worry about, not, none of it happened. Or whatever happened had nothing to do with whatever you were afraid of. So it is it is a war of consciousness. It is a war of thoughts. And that's where we have to be put. Be mindful. Be mindful. Be awake. Pay attention to what you're putting. Where you're putting the energy. Ninety-nine point so, nine percent of everything you fear doesn't come to pass. Nothing. So why did you? Why did you spend the time? If you can't yeah. do something about something right now, don't worry about it. Simple. You know, but it's all mind game. I've, I've been saying this for decades. You know, it's it's the way that why why are why did the kill thing of the COVID and the vaccines, as bad as it is, not kill more people? And that's because more people didn't buy into the fact that it would be damaging to them. You know, I used to try to convince people not to take the vaccination, but once you went to the third vaccination, the chances are that they've been, you know, infiltrated. <laughs> and so, you know, at that point, the only thing that's going to keep them going is their belief that it won't, ha won't, won't hurt them. And your mind is so powerful. And that, you know, I remember Mark, Mark uh, Steele yelling, you know, why... Why aren't more people dying? And that's the reason, is that our minds can override what they wanted to do. Yeah. There's no contract. You know, and so I stopped trying to convince people. Well, look, look at the, the thing with the placebo thing. The placebo is far more successful than any other drug put out there. <laughs> it makes you think... Uh, why are they paying attention to it? Oh, it's not convenient. It, it's not convenient at all to pay attention to it, so we ignore it. <laughs> well, no, because if if you start studying the placebo, you don't need the pharmaceuticals. 
Yeah. It's, it's all for money. It's all for control. It's all bullshit. Amazing. Here we are, six minutes away from it. Six minutes away from a brand, a bright new future, a bright new beginning. We've been in it for a while now, in my opinion. <laughs> um, you know, again, listening to, and I don't sit and listen to every one of the uh, the Radio 5G Chronicles, but I go back into time, I pull these things up, I look at the title, I go, I jump through it to see what it's about, if the sound's good and stuff. And I'm always coming away with the realization that we've been at this for, well, since 2016 on this station, never mind what we did before that. And the things that we would talk about way back when, we're still talking about because we're seeing fruition as to the stories that we started up way back when. It's an amazing compilation of reality as it unfolded. You know, someday somebody's got to put these in transcript and make a book out of it because it's like really, really important book on on how people were were, were responding to reality. You know? And what what happened <laughs> because there'll there'll be all sorts of you know books and stories and movies and everything else on this time frame but to have that record of every week you know four to eight times a week a segment on reality is really really i'm so grateful that we were given the opportunity to do that we came here to talk right dolly I, I yes, <laughs> I was muted. So, um, okay, we're like uh, two minutes out. Anybody got anything they want to mention or? Love blankets. Yeah, love blankets. Keep them yes. going. We need them. Don't stop with the blood blankets. Correct. Yeah. Um. Okay, Tuesday, we've got a really interesting guest coming on to this, the Shungite show. She is living on an island off the coast of Spain. And when COVID hit, her husband lost his job and was stuck in South Africa or something for four months. I mean, it was like terrible. But while all this was going on, she got introduced to Shungite. And she tried to get a hold of Derek, but, you know, at that time, Derek just didn't get the message. They, didn't, they never connected. But she said to herself, I'll just wait for them to contact me. So Mark Joseph actually found her someplace and started, you know, and so she, I've talked to her now, and she's going to be on Tuesday. Fascinating, fascinating. And what's very exciting is that she has got a sister that's working for, and remember, they're on an isolated island, and they're intending to shungite every part of it. And they What's the name? Can you say the name of the I, island? Uh, or, uh, no, the I, yeah, no, no, I could say it. I just don't remember it, Walt. Um, oh. But I'll, I'll let you know when I, when I look at it. Um, but 
she just started up 70, 70 hives, beehives. And oh, all oh. shungite. I mean, it's, it's so exciting. So, um, yeah, anybody out there, please listen to that shungite show because it's, it's exciting. So I'm going to say thank you all for being here. And um, we will see you Tuesday on the shungite show, hopefully. Say what? Say what radio show? With no agenda. It's always a surprise. But if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong.